The hawk caught my eye as it rose from the ground. His wings looked sleek yet strong as he began to ascend. Focusing intently, I watched him climb above the hills that surrounded us. His flight seemed smooth and effortless. Though his altitude and position in the air continued to change, his wings appeared almost frozen. In what seemed like just seconds, he had reached well beyond a thousand feet above me. My eyes strained as I continued to track his flight. Then it dawned on me. He was flying and rising without a single flap of his wings. He was soaring on the power and presence of the wind. After the hawk continued his ascent out of sight, my attention was drawn to a crow as it launched itself from a treetop. It was much smaller than the hawk with a shorter wingspan. As I watched, the crow, like the hawk, had moments when it was soaring as its wings remained still. But those brief moments turned to prolonged periods of fierce flapping in order to stay airborne and increase altitude. The crow was working hard to do what the hawk had done so easily just moments before. As I continued to track the determined yet inadequate crow, it was evident that it was flapping more than soaring and never did reach the height of the hawk. Our journey has seen both heights and depths surrounded by strenuous seasons of flapping. We have trusted in our ability through hard work, gifted creativity, skilled strategy, and even our extraordinary history to bring us to an elevation only achieved through soaring on the wind of God's Spirit. At times, we have placed our hope in ourselves, but God has called us once again to put our hope and trust in Jesus through His Spirit in our lives and our church. Isaiah the prophet wrote, Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fail. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. The time is now to stop striving, to stop straining, to stop flapping. The time is now to start surrendering, to start responding, to start embracing the effective flight of the hawk. It's time to start soaring again. So the words that you hear in that are the words that the Lord gave me a year and a half ago when I was sitting up on a hilltop by a cross praying for our church and I watched a hawk do that very thing soar and then I watched a crow struggle to not even be able to attain the height of what the hawk had experienced and the Lord said to me that's the church that's been our journey that's been our collective journey that's been our individual journey and striving and trying and working hard and trying to make things happen and relying on our own ability and our own giftedness and our own skill and God was saying hey remember you only get anywhere through the power of my spirit 
when you surrender to me, not because you will do it on your own, but because I will do it through you. And as we begin this new year, I really feel it's important for us as individuals and as a church family to be reminded again of what God wants to do in us is not work harder, be better, get more programs, do this, do that, and then you'll be the church I want you to be. He's saying, surrender to the power of my Holy Spirit and watch what I will do through you. But there's some things that we have to do in order for us to embrace that. In Isaiah chapter 40, I want to just take a few moments and we're going to head towards uh, communion with, when we conclude here. But just briefly, in Isaiah 40, I wanted just to walk through some of the verses in that chapter, which is a chapter of scripture that is given to Israel through the prophet Isaiah before they were going into this pending captivity because of their, their continued rejection of God. They're going to lose everything. But God's saying to them, as you go through this, I am going to restore you. I'm going to strengthen you. I'm going to renew you. I'm going to be there. And so he's reminding them. And so for us, it's a reminder to us as we walk through seasons of our life, seasons of the church, that God is always at work and he's in the process of doing something that will always reach heights that we can't reach on our own if we're willing to surrender to him. And so this morning, I just want to take some time to walk through because I think it's important for us to remember. So look at verses 1 and 2 of Isaiah chapter 40 if you have access to the scriptures. The first thing to reach new heights, to experience God's power through his spirit in our life is that we have to move beyond the past. So it says in Isaiah 40, verse 1 and 2, Comfort, comfort my people, says, uh, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, and that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. So God's saying is, listen, yeah, you've come out of your past and your brokenness. He's talking about after the captivity, you paid for all that. Your sins have been forgiven. Now you are moving from the past into the present and the future, but now you're moving beyond your past. The past is forgiven. It is covered. And for some of us, we need to be reminded today that our past has been forgiven because some of us still to this day live under this cloud of our past. And we want to move forward, but we struggle moving forward because we always disqualify ourselves before God ever disqualifies us. We tell God what he can and cannot do with our life according to the way we assess our past. And for all of us, at one time or another, we have taken ourselves out of the game when God said, no, you're not, you don't belong on the bench. You're supposed to be in the game. I have forgiven your past, and now you have a future. I had a close friend who was sitting with me in a small group of guys that we were going through a book together, and week one, we talked about dealing with our past. And so as we were processing through in that, in that context, he shared with us in the room, he said, listen, guys, he said, I feel every time I try to move forward and following Jesus, every time I believe that God can actually use me in my life again, I disqualify myself. And he went on to share a story about he was a youth pastor years before, and he had made some decisions, and nothing inappropriate happened, but the appearance of something inappropriate happened with a young girl in the youth group, and so he had to step out of ministry, and he never wanted to go back there because it was a source of pain and suffering and failure for him. So he said that that always comes into my mind every time I come to this place of moving forward. And so that was week one, and we're talking about this. And so week two, we, he comes back, and we're, we're walking through this together, and we're reminding him, listen, God has forgiven you for your past, and now you can let it go. And in week two, he starts to think. You could see the light starting to come on from him. Week three, he comes back, and he says, you know, guys, I actually feel like God has actually forgiven me for the past, that I actually can move forward. Week four, he comes back and he shares this with us. He says, listen, he said, my wife and I for years have felt that God's called us to the Philippines to work with a specific orphanage and working with kids. 
He said, but every time we've revisited that, every time we had the conversation, I always go back to this moment of failure in my, my life and say, I can't do it because I failed, and he couldn't forgive himself, but he goes, now I actually see that maybe God wants to do something. Week five, he comes back and says, by the way, he goes, I've booked an airline ticket to the Philippines to go scout out what I'm going to do. By the end of week nine and week 10, he was on a plane to the Philippines, and six months later, they sold everything they had in the U.S., and they moved and started serving with an orphanage. And they did that for two or three years. He came to that moment where he realized God hadn't held him back. He had only held himself back. And I'm convinced there's a number of us in this room that there's so much that God wants to do in reaching new heights, but you and I are going back to the past. It could be our greatest failure, or even could be our greatest victory. And we're hanging on to it, and God said, it's time to let it go. It's time to move forward. He's saying that to Israel. He's saying that to us. Second thing, verses 3 through 5, is that we have to be prepared for God to move. So it goes on. It says in verse 3, a voice of one calling. In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, and the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all the people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. What is Isaiah talking about? All those things had to do with what, what people would do in preparation for a king's visit. They would make sure that all the high places were lowered and all the rough places were made smooth. Why? So that there was a passageway and there was access for the king to come. And those very words were used of Jesus in preparation for Jesus, that when Jesus comes, there's this preparation. Now, there's a difference between preparation and penance. See, we, what, we, what preparation is, is that I'm not recovering from my past, getting my act together, paying for my sins so that somehow when Jesus or when God arrives, then I'll be ready for him. That's not what Isaiah is talking about. It's a preparation, which means I have to get myself in a place that when God shows up and he calls me out from where I'm at, I can say yes without condition. That I can be ready. I'm not creating or putting any barriers in his way. I'm ready for him to come. Now, I've lived in a cold weather, weather climate for one season of life in Oregon for seven years, and I never want to experience that again. And in Oregon, in the Portland area, it snows every year, but there's just different levels of snowing, not like what the DeSomers experienced in upstate New York. But, but one year in 2008, we had a foot and a half of snow, and that was a lot for the Portland area. So much so that they didn't have enough resource to have snow plows. To only, they only cleared the highways, but they, they couldn't clear anything else. And so as the, the snow just kept accumulating in our driveway, it got harder and harder to get out of our garage and back into our garage. Because if you add a foot and a half of snow and ice, and then you try to get an SUV in and out of a, of a, of a garage, it's difficult. And so as, as that was building up, when, when uh, Kim's family came up from Southern California and they were surviving the storm, it took a while for them to even get up to Oregon, into Portland. But one of the things that the kids, the cousins all got together that they ended up doing is they ended up shoveling snow for the first time in their lives. And they ended up shoveling driveways, which I was so glad that they actually thought it was fun. So they started at Kim's parents' house, and they shoveled that driveway. And then they went over to our house, and they shoveled the driveway. And I was so glad that they did, because I thought, if we get one more inch of snow, there's no way I'm getting out of the garage. And if I get out, I'm never getting back in, because there was just too much snow built up. And so by shoveling the driveway, what they did is they gave access. So now I could get in and out of my garage. And the same thing is true of what Isaiah is talking about. There's this preparation that has to be done that gives God access into our lives. And what's so important is that sometimes we don't even realize we position ourselves in such a way that when God actually shows up and wants to do something in our life, we say, I can't. 
It can be in the form of finances where we have leveraged ourselves so much so that when God shows up and he says, okay, I want you to give generously or I want you to go here or I want you to do that and you're like, God, do you know how much debt I have? There's no way I could do that. That would be foolish for me. And I've had so many conversations with people. Or maybe your life becomes so filled with stuff and your schedule is jammed and God shows up and you're like, I can squeeze you in on two, at Tuesday at 3 p.m., but that's all the time I got, God. Because what? Our lives so filled with stuff. So preparation is what? It's clearing the deck. It's making sure everything is in a place where God has full access into my life. It's being ready for him to show up. Third thing. We are reminded in Isaiah 40 of reaching new heights means that we have to remember who God is. We so easily forget who God is. We see our problems and our struggles and our sufferings up here and somehow forget that God is far greater than those. Isaiah goes on and he says in in the next uh, 20 verses, in verse 6 through verse 26, I mean, I'm not going to read all these, but let me give you the highlights. In verse 6 through 8, he's reminding Israel, he's reminding us of who God is. God himself, he says in verse 6 through 8 that he remains uh, when all else is gone and all else withers away. God is still present. In verses 9 through 11, he reminds us that he's the shepherd and he shepherds his people with strength on one hand and compassion on the other hand. In verse 12, he reminds us that God is over all creation. In verses 13 and 14, that nothing compares to his wisdom. In verses 17, 15 through 17, that no nation on earth can stand against him. In verses 18 through 20, there is no idol or God that is greater than him. And then verses 21 to 26, that he is the king of all creator. He created it all, and he has power over everything. So what is God saying to us? He's reminding us of who he is. Why? Because almost on a daily basis, and I'm going to be honest, I forget who he is. I get caught up in my life and my schedule and my routine and stress and challenge, and I forget in the midst of that God is bigger than all of this. And then there's those moments where the light comes on when we, and that's what I love about corporately coming together and worshiping. What we experienced earlier is we were reminded today that God is bigger. That's what we were reminded of. He is bigger than our life. He is bigger than our struggles. And he's present, which we'll talk about in a moment. We need those aha moments where we were reminded how big God is. Where God exceeds our expectation because we always put him in a box and limit him. And he blows the box apart and says, no, I'm far better. I'm far bigger. I'm far greater. Now, on a much smaller scale, I experienced this the first time I ever saw Shaquille O'Neal play basketball live. Okay, I love basketball, so you're going to have to go with me on this one, okay? I've been a lifelong Laker fan, and the first game that I showed up, that I got to see Shaq and Kobe play. When I walked in, now, Shaq, in, in his playing days, he's a little heavier now, but he's about 7'1", 7'2", and he played at about 340 pounds. That was his playing weight. He's about 380 now. He's a beast of a man. He's huge. And so when I walked into Staples Center and I saw them warming up, I, I kid you not, when I first saw Shaq, I said, who in the world is that? And my friend that I went through had season tickets, so he's like, oh, it's Shaq. I'm like, are you serious? And I just stood there. We didn't even get to our seats. I'm just standing there watching him warm up. He was massive. And I'm not exaggerating. When I watched him warm up, he's standing in the middle of the key. And if he spreads his arms, his arms extend beyond the distance of the key. The basket, which over his head is 10 feet, looked like it was about 6 feet. He looked like he was on a court that was half the size and that he was a man playing amongst junior high boys. That's what he looked like. He was just massive. And then when he, would, when he would get the ball and he'd hold it in one hand, I'm not kidding, if you've ever seen Shaq hold the ball, his fingers are so long they come around over half of the ball. It's like he's holding a baseball. 
It's just bizarre. And I remember watching the whole game. I didn't watch anybody else on the court. Anytime Shaq was on the court, that's all. I'm like, how can 340 pounds at seven foot one move that fast? I was amazed. Now, on a much grander scale, when God shows up in our life, he's always bigger than we expect him to be. He's always more powerful. He's always greater. But are we ready for that? Are we ready for, in this year, God to actually do something? Not just to whip up our emotion and our expectation only to be disappointed, but are we prepared to know that God is greater in our life? I'm convinced if we are, he will show up and do amazing things. And then the fourth thing is in verse 27 and 28, we have to realize that God is with us. He's with us. It says, why do you complain, O Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. That means that God is everlasting over all things, always present, always with us in every moment of our lives. There isn't one thing that you have ever experienced in your life, or every wa- ever walked through your life, that God hasn't been present. Now, you might have thought that he was. That's why that's why in Isaiah says, you know, Jacob or Israel, why do you complain? Why do you feel disregarded? Why? Because we go through difficult times and we say, God is gone. He's not here. He'll check in and he'll check out. When life is good, God is present. When life is bad, God is gone. But we're being reminded, God is always present. That means every single moment of every single day, God is with you. God is with you at work, at home, at school, on your commute, with your friends, whatever you do, God is present. God is at work in all moments. The question is, do we see him at work? Do we realize, do we live with that reality that God is with me right now in whatever I'm facing? Even in the routine and sometimes the monotony of life, God is present. He doesn't disregard us. He doesn't leave us. If you and I lived every moment of every day with that conscious reality that God is present, we would live differently. There would be no normal moments. There would be no just kind of life as it is. There would be no struggle that we go through that we know that God can't overcome. Why? Because he is with us. Jordan has been playing basketball for a long time, but the last two years, my son has had to take a break because his knees weren't catching up with his growth. And so he had went through excruciating knee pain, and this, this year he finally was able to overcome that. And so now he's playing competitive basketball again. I love it. One of, the, one of the things I love the most is to watch my kids play sports. I'm getting to watch Jordan play basketball again. And so as I'm watching him, he's kind of getting his basketball legs back again. He's kind of getting the feel of the game because when you're out of that competitive mode for two years, it's, you know, when you jump back in, it takes a little time. So each game he's been improving and so I've been going to his games and enjoying that. And I know I missed the first couple ones because the schedule didn't work out, but every chance that I get, I want to see him play. And so I, I made it to two or three in a row. And so I think it was the third, maybe the fourth game that I had made. And, and one of his teammates comes up to me before the game. And he walks up to me and he sticks his hand out and he says, Mr. Amsetz, which, by the way, I can't stand being called that. I feel like my dad. Anybody relate to that? You're like, I'm not that old yet, please. So well, Mr. Amsetz, of course, to him, I'm really old. He said, I'm so glad you're here. I'm like, wow, a welcome from the team just to show up to the game. And I said, well, why are you glad I'm here? He said, because every time you show up, Jordan plays better. (laughs) So if you can make sure to show up to every game. And Jordan and I were talking about this this morning, and it's true. He he said, it's not like this conscious thing that, okay, dad's here, so I'm going to play better now. It's just knowing that there's somebody in the stands who's rooting for you, someone who loves you, someone who is wanting you to succeed, is there all the time. Something changes. 
And the God of the universe is not removed. That's why Jesus came and sent his spirit and is, lives with us. That's why one of the names of Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, which means as we are living out life, God is always in our corner. God is always present with us. God is always at work. And then two more things. The fifth thing is that you and I, if we're going to reach new heights that God wants us to experience this year, that we have to rely on God's strength, not our own. So verses 29 and 30, he gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, young men stumble and fail or fall. To understand that it's God's strength through us. He gives strength to the strong. No, he gives strength to the weak. And somebody who's weak has to acknowledge that they're weak. The problem is, is we don't acknowledge that we're weak. But when we acknowledge that we don't have it all together, that we, we don't have all the things that we need in order to live the life God wants us to live, then we realize we're weak, and in our weakness, he is strong. But we have to acknowledge that weakness in us, that we're broken, and that we don't have all the answers. And it's not about us. That's probably one of the greatest revelations that we can experience in our following Jesus, is that it's never really about you. It's about God. And he has something always bigger than what you have planned. And it always comes out better than what you could orchestrate. But the biggest challenge for us is that we become our own greatest enemy. Because we keep trying to do it on our own. We keep trying to figure life out on our own. And as a pastor, I know from my context, we keep trying to do church without God. That's what happens. I've had friends from Africa look at the U.S. church and say to me, it's amazing what you guys can do without God. Wow, that hurts. Because what do we have? We have big buildings and big budgets and lots of programs and we have, we have fog machines and lights and cool worship leaders and all that stuff and we do all a great show and we can get a lot of people into a building but are we really the church? Or are we just a show every week that people go to, they applaud, they give a little and then they go home? That's a show. And we have to be careful as a church family that we never ever allow ourselves to become that because what the tendency to do is if we want the church to grow bigger, we start figuring out strategies of how to do that and yet ignore that multiple times in the book of Acts when the church grew, it says the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Not the worship leader or the pastor or the building or the children's program. It's the Lord through the church drawing people to Jesus. That's what we have to get back to. And I've shared my journey. I had to learn that the hard way in church planting. It wasn't me. And I remember when I wanted the church to grow faster, I would latch on to whatever the latest, greatest program is. Hey, if we just plug this thing in, we'll grow and we'll be significant and we'll have a bigger name and a, and a, and a broader influence in our city. If I just plug this in, and I plugged in every single program, I went to all the church planting uh, resources and all the conferences and read all the books, and it all came to nothing. The church was the church, and thank God Jesus was the Lord of the church, even though it took me four years to figure that out, because the church kept going, and God kept doing what he was doing despite me, not because of me. And if we're going to see God do what he wants to do in our church, and in our city, and in our lives, then we have to stop relying on ourselves. The hawk relies on the wind to get elevation. The crow tries to flap its wings to get to the same height and never gets there. Jesus is saying it's time to stop flapping. <clears throat> it's time to start surrendering to the power of the wind, which is a symbol for the Holy Spirit in Scripture, to let the Spirit carry us where he wants to carry us. And then the final thing is this. <clears throat> in a moment, the worship team will join us for communion at our conclusion here. In verse 31, we are reminded to reach new heights. We have to trust God to soar, not ourselves. 
But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Anybody use some of that right now? Can, can you imagine what life would be like if our hope is in the Lord that we actually soar and that we run and we don't get weary and we walk and we never grow faint? Can you imagine what that would be like both spiritually and physically? To have this unending strength and energy despite what we feel? Because what we're doing isn't based on our strength. The more exhausted you find yourself, both spiritually and physically, the more you're trying to do it on your own. There's something, it's not that it's easy, but there's an ease that comes over us when it's God working through us. The, one of the greatest moments for me as a pastor is when I get to step back and I get to watch. I get to be in the front row seat of watching God work in people's lives. It is so exciting because I know this has nothing to do with me. It's God being God. And you know why, how I know that? Because it was really easy. It wasn't, oh, I'm going to strain hard, I'm going to work harder, and I'm going to make it happen in this person's life. No, I'm going to pray for them, I'm going to counsel them, and then I'm going to watch God do what God can do in their life. See, if we were that way as a church and watch what God wants to do, surrendering to his spirit in our lives, what that would look like. I'm going to ask the worship team if they would come and, and join me. We're going to head into a time of communion and conclude our service with worship. But I, in preparation for what we're going to do in communion, as I, I do periodically, I'm going to ask you, if you just go ahead and close your eyes, I want you to, to focus in on some points of reflection as we prepare to, to receive communion together. Now, just practically speaking, in a moment when the worship team leads. Uh, there are stations set up around the room with the communion elements that you, at any time when we go back into worship, you are, you are free to, to make your way to the, those tables as long as you've made that commitment to follow Jesus in your life and you understand what you're doing. But, but what you're going to, to do is as you take those elements, there is bread in a cup or a cracker and juice in the physical reality of what's there. And there's nothing special about those particular things other than that they are symbols. And symbols never exist for themselves. Symbols always exist to point to something else. And the symbols that you're going to receive are symbols that point to Jesus' brokenness for us. His body that was broken on our behalf. And then the blood is a symbol of his death. And his death was this amazing act of generosity towards humanity that he would give himself and die for us in a moment to take on all the points of failure in every moment of every person's life for all of human history. Jesus took that on himself. And in a moment, we're gonna do what we're gonna do is taking those elements as a reminder to us that of what he's done. But what he has done is not just some historic event that we go back to. It's a present reality that comes to bear on our lives today. So there's three areas that I would like to address that you maybe need to focus in on, on your time of communion. The first one is this. Maybe some of us here today are living under that shadow of our past. There is guilt and shame that constantly haunts us. Now, if that's for sins that have been unconfessed, then God's calling you out to say, I have to admit that I've done this. But if those are feelings that you have from things that you know that you have come clean on, that you've confessed, then today God wants to remind you the only thing holding you back is yourself. 
God has forgiven you. Jesus has paid for your sin. He has set you free from the cell of your brokenness, and he has allowed you to move forward, but you have to make a choice to step out of the cell into the freedom he has for you. Maybe it's not your past that you're dealing with, but maybe it's your present, and when you look at your life right now, you see that if if God were really to show up in a way that he's calling you out from where you're at, He's, he's calling you to live differently than you lived before. You have some serious concerns because you know that there's barriers in your life. You know that you've got some mountains that need to be leveled. You've got some rough road that needs to be smoothed. And you know that if he showed up in a way right now that really called you to live differently, it would be a struggle. Today he's saying now as you come to the cross again, it's time for the mountains to be lowered and the, smooth, the rough places to be smoothed in your life. It's time for you to let down and let go of those things in your life that would be a hindrance to following me. And then maybe you may be here and part of what God is wanting to do today is he's calling you to surrender yourself to the power of his spirit in your life. You've done really good in your life. You've become a really good Christian. Maybe you've done really good in business or school or family. But when God looks at your life, he's saying there's so much more. There are new heights there that you could reach that I want to take you to but those places only get accessed when you do one very important thing you surrender you stop doing it on your own and you surrender to the power of God's spirit which means there may be some fear in you about what does it look like to surrender am I giving up control you bet you are it's when we give up our control and let God be in charge that we begin to truly live that's why Jesus says if you want to live you have to die first. You have to relinquish control, and then you will experience life. You will experience resurrection. So in just a few moments as we receive those elements, that, that if those are the things that you're dealing with, and you just begin to talk with God, He is present to work in our lives. And Jesus, we are so grateful. You are here by your Spirit. You want to free us from our past. You want to clear the roadway for your work in our life. And you want to fill us by the power of your Holy Spirit to experience the life that you have for us. So Lord, let us respond accordingly today to what you want to do in us. We thank you, Jesus, in your name.